Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 17. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to, come for, to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Alistair, thanks very much for reading. And if you've just joined us since we started, um, either in person or online, I want to say a very warm welcome to you again. Uh, the question that we are thinking about is heaven. And my hunch is that uh, between yourselves and maybe your colleagues, there's lots of confusion about heaven. What is it like? Is it real? How do you get into heaven? And maybe if you go back to your office, maybe it's a bit quieter because of half term, but if you ask around, you might get an eclectic range of answers. And granted, some people might say they don't believe in anything beyond this material world, but often they will change their minds when they hold their loved ones in their dying moments. I think we will find it surprising that actually many people do believe in some sort of higher place. But then that is where things get a bit messy. Because the nature of the discussion is all speculative, it's all hearsay. And even amongst Christians, there's lots of confusion of what is heaven really like. And I'm sure you know the classic description, uh, harps and, and wings and floating on clouds. And if that's not your thing, well, heaven is not very appealing. And then the question on entry requirements, how do we get in? And I think here's the answer that we often hear from our friends, is that is you have to try your best to do good. But you think about it, there's real logical force to what um, is being said. Because empirically, we know that no one of us, none of us is perfect. And because perfection is unattainable, uh, the bar becomes the process rather than the outcome. And so we ask ourselves, did you try your best? Uh, did you try to be kind? Did you try to be compassionate? Did you try to give to charity? And so maybe your outcome, you get a B or a B plus, but you get an A for effort. And that A uh, gets you ready for heaven. Heaven, I'm ready for you. And so there is a certain logical force to that. Did you try your best? Or were you good enough that you try your best? But here's the good news this lunchtime, that we don't need to speculate. We don't need to guess. We don't need to come up with our own opinions. 
because in a certain point in history, well, heaven, heaven broke in. You see, we are in a series in Matthew's gospel, and we have titled it Encountering Jesus, uh, the person of Jesus. And if you were with us last week, uh, we met this amazing person. He was the most compassionate, um, merciful individual. I remember if you were here, he said to the leper, I will be clean. But Matthew's portrayal about this person of Jesus was not just that he's a king, but he's also a king with a kingdom. He brings in the kingdom of heaven. And that's brilliant, because if he shows us what heaven is like, there's no need to speculate. Let, let me show you how Matthew makes his point in his gospel. Um, this wider section, Matthew, uh, runs from chapters 5 all the way to chapter 10. And Matthew gives us bookmarks to help us to see that this is part of the same section. Uh, so flip to chapter 4, verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 23. 4.23, and this is Jesus. And Jesus, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. I flip to chapter 9, verse 35. 9.35. And again, Jesus, he went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. Uh, do you see the repetition there? Uh, teaching, proclaiming the kingdom, and healing, um, and proclaiming the kingdom, and healing. And so I want to suggest to you, uh, Matthew's chapters 5 uh, to, to, to 9, chapter 10, uh, forms a wider section, and you can call it, as Jesus proclaiming the kingdom. And there are two major themes in this kingdom. It is teaching and healing. Uh, so chapters 5 to 7, if you're familiar with Matthew, it's the famous Sermon on the Mount. That is his teaching. But then in chapter 8 to 9, in the section we're in, you see lots of healing. And it's both the teaching and the healing that is a display of the kingdom. And it's worth noting how Matthew describes this kingdom. He calls it the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of God. And it's a particular use, um, unique to Matthew, to describe the kingdom as the kingdom of heaven. And the way to think of it is think of it as, as two spheres, uh, if you like. Um, you have one sphere, which we call the kingdom of earth. What happens on kingdom earth? Uh, there's decay, there's global warming, uh, the ice caps are melting, there are earthquakes, there's war, there's strife, there's conflict, relational breakdown. Uh, there's moral decay, ethical corruption in society, and there's aging. Uh, your metabolism is no longer as high. You get fat around your tummy, uh, your hair starts to fall. And then there's sickness, uh, your cancer, dementia, and cardiac disease, and ultimately death. That is the kingdom, the first sphere, the kingdom of the earth. But then when Jesus arrives, he brings in another kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, another sphere coming into contact with earth, breaking in to earth. He brings in revolutionary ethics, I think of the Sermon on the Mount, and he brings in life. Look at verse 16 of chapter 8. Verse 16 of chapter 8. That evening, he, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And you see Jesus, evil and illnesses, salted in this world. It's like he brings heaven into the earth. And so when God comes, he brings heaven along with him. 
Well, just as an aside, uh, it's worth noting that this is a preview of heaven, and it happened in a unique moment in history. So don't be too discouraged if you don't see people uh, springing to life on the streets later. But that gives us an insight into the kingdom, that we don't need to speculate what heaven is like and how do we get in, because Jesus tells us so. And what does it look like? Well, it looks like a Roman centurion. Well, if you're following the handout, we're on our first point. The miracle. And Jesus, as he enters the town, you can imagine again, huge crowds following him. And then someone new appears on the scene. It's the centurion. Look at verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward and uh, to him, appealing to him. And what do you hear in the crowds as this centurion appears? You hear harsh whispers to the crowd, really low murmurings in the background as the centurion steps forward. Why? It's because the Jews, well, they, they hate, they hate the Romans. And the reason is because we don't appreciate this, right? See, the, the Romans, they were the occupying force. They were taxing the people and suppressing the culture. When you imagine, imagine if the, the Chinese invaded uh, this great nation, okay? And then this Great Britain comes under Chinese occupation. The taxes don't go to the NHS, but goes to the production of Chinese semiconductors. And your British identity is being eroded away. And no longer you get roast dinners for your meals. It is substituted with spicy intestine soup. You'll be offended. You will hate uh, the people who are occupying you. There'll be deep societal resentment. And so the centurion, well, the Jews, they hate him. And so it's really great that this centurion is in a really helpless state. I look at what he says in verse 6. Chapter 8, verse 6. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suf suffering terribly. And you think to yourself, you're in a crowd, Jesus, he's our guy. He would tell the centurion to bugger off. Then the whispering stops because Jesus replies, verse 7. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. You're thinking, what? What is Jesus thinking? He is a Roman. But Jesus, he's ready and willing, and he bends down to pick up his rucksack, ready to go. But then you hear the centurion say, stop, stop, don't come any closer, just say the word. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, the soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does this. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And look down to verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Imagine you're in the crowd, you start checking your watch, and it's like, oh, it's 25 past, and you, know, you go back uh, to see the servant, you just check, well, was it really 25 past that he was healed? Uh, just making sure it was really the exact moment where Jesus spoke, go, and he will be healed. Uh, it's an amazing miracle, uh, just words this time, uh, no touch. He didn't even know the name of the servant, he didn't even see the servant, yet the servant was healed. It's an amazing display of power to heal and compassion. He loves the enemy. That is the miracle. 
But again, we ask, is there more going on in this narrative? Uh, is there more? And what's the answer? The answer is yes. There's always, there's always more going on. Uh, you see, because uh, Matthew, who is our author, he's much more sophisticated than what we think. On first glance, it looks like just a random arrangement of miracles, but Matthew has very carefully put things together because there's real significance in this miracle, and it's all about faith. See, last week we saw uh, Jesus. The focus was on Jesus, his ability, but more than his ability was his willingness to, to heal. He says to the leper, I will be clean. But you notice in this passage today, who is the focus? Well, it seems that the centurion is the focus in our passage. And so it's a response to Jesus that counts. And so the centurion, he is the narrative example of how to enter the kingdom. The narrative example of how to enter the kingdom. And the key, it's his faith. Verse 10. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. But we ask, what makes his faith so great? Well, three things. Firstly, his posture of faith. He is not worthy. Verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy. If you think about what the centurion is saying, it's actually really astounding. Firstly, he's Roman. He is the occupying force far superior race, yet he says he is not worthy. But actually really astounding as well, because he really seems to be a decent guy. I do notice he comes for his servant. He really cares for his servant. He's kind, and he's a decent human being. Uh, if your boss in the office is willing to go to the pharmacy to buy some paracetamol for you when you're sick, that is a boss you want to work for. He's a decent human being. But for all of that, uh, he has A for, for outcome. He's got A plus for effort. But for all of that, he says he is not worthy. Why? Well, it's not explicit. But maybe this is true when he was sitting in the crowds when Jesus was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. And he realized that he used to think that outcomes don't matter. But they do. Because Jesus says, be perfect. Because your Father in heaven is perfect. And he used to think that as long as he you know, tried his best, um, and he did, that's all that mattered. But then Jesus says, well, what matters more than your effort is your heart. Are you angry inside? That's murder. Do you lust inside? That is adultery. Do you do things for the praise of men? That's hypocrisy. And this centurion, he goes back to the barracks and he sees his fellow officers. And they're all decent men on the outside but the stuff he hears when the doors are closed and he knows he is one like them and he compares it with Jesus' teaching and his conclusion, I am not, I am not worthy. I want to suggest this is probably the biggest roadblock for many a city worker to come to faith in Jesus because most of our lives, we are told that you are worthy. You are worthy. Uh, at school, that's what we hear. But the workplace, it thrives on being worthy. You are the rising star. You are the next talent. You are essential. You have the titles, manager, senior vice president, managing direct, director, senior partner. And we show our business card to make the point that I am worthy, to say that I am worthy. And the real challenge is that this is the prerequisite of faith, 
It's not even faith, mind you. It's the prerequisite. You look at your whole team cheering you on. You're the man. You go, girl. You're the rock star. But then you look inside and you say, well, the truth is, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. That is a real challenge. I think a real challenge to many a city worker. But of course, we are not worthy because we murder with our hearts, we commit adultery with our minds, and we love the praise of men. But that is the posture of faith. We are not worthy. Secondly, the content of faith. Uh, it's in Jesus and his authority. Only say the word. Verse 8 again. But the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. You see, he places his authority in, he places his, sorry, his faith in the authority of Jesus' words. And it's not gullible. He understands authority. Uh, in Singapore, it's compulsory for all 18-year-old men to go into national service. And some of the guys, they do go to officer school and they come out as uh, second lieutenants. And it's really funny. What, do you, what happens when you give 18-year-olds some form of power? Um, well, they really go a bit crazy. So you can even say to all the men in the, in, in the army camp, uh, knock it down, put your rifles above your head. And it happens because there's authority. There's authority given to him and words that accomplish things. We see the centurion, he recognizes that Jesus' authority stretches beyond the army barracks because it's not only in a military setting, but it goes all the way out into the world. He says to leprosy, be clean, and leprosy is clean. And he also sees authority located um, in his words. Um, and so he says, only, only say the word. And so to enter the kingdom, the content of the faith must be in Jesus' authority. And this is really key uh, to get really clear on, because uh, there's so much confusion about this. Firstly, we suggest that faith is an abstract. Your faith, my faith, faith is some form of fuzzy religion. No. For the centurion, faith is in the person, the man who is standing in front of him, in the person of Jesus. Not an abstract, but Jesus. But then we also describe faith as a leap in the dark. Now, there's a gap between the material world and the spiritual world. How do you bridge that gap? Well, you've got a leap gap with a leap of faith. No, there is no gap um, for the centurion. Heaven is before him, Jesus standing there. The evidence is before him, the teaching of Jesus, the power of Jesus. And as you would consider the beta, working capital ratios, cash reserves to ascertain the credit worthiness of a company, uh, the centurion, he, he considered the evidence, the teaching, the character, the power of Jesus to ascertain his worthiness. And so faith is not a leap in the dark, but considered evidence presented by Jesus. Thirdly, faith is not like multivitamins. Some of you here know I'm a proponent of multivitamins. Um, it's really good, actually. <laughs> and we think like multivitamins, they enhance your immunity. And so faith is one of those things that make your life a little bit better. No. For the centurion, it's a recognition that Jesus' authority extends to all of life. His authority over right and wrong. His teaching. He understands that he's not worthy, but his authority over the physical and his powers to clean and heal. So faith is not like multivitamins. 
It's faith in his authority over all of life. The content of faith, not abstract in a person, not a leap in the dark, but considered evidence, not like multivitamins, but trusting in his authority for all, for all of life. So there's the content of faith, authority in Jesus, only say the word. Thirdly, the outcome of faith, you gain entry into the kingdom. Look at verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, truly, I, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure how many of us here find verse 11 appealing. I've been able to recline with a probably quite old Middle Eastern man, maybe with quite a big beard. But of course we should find it appealing because it's a picture of uh, the picture of the table is points to the final day of celebration being in the kingdom. And this is the picture of being in heaven with God. And this is really significant because who is Abraham in the Bible? If you know a bit of Genesis, Abraham is described as the man of faith. And so faith in Jesus was always the access point into the kingdom. It was with Abraham, the father of many nations. It was with the centurion, the Roman centurion. And it is with us today, people from all nations. It's totally inclusive. Uh, verse 11, because of faith in Jesus, it is an access point in the kingdom. But it's also totally exclusive. Look at verse 12. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sons of the kingdom, that refers to Israel, national Israel. Uh, um, the outer darkness refers to hell. And if those who do not have faith in Jesus, they would not enter the kingdom. Your heritage will not get you in. It's not how hard you try. It's not your A for effort. It's not the out your outcome. It's only faith in Jesus, in his authority, that gets you in to the kingdom. We might think that's a bit ex exclusive. Um, the answer is right there in chapter 8, verse 17. Uh, maybe it's too much for today. I'll come back to those verses next week. If you're really keen to find out, you can ask me about chapter 8, verse 17. So let's try to summarize what we have seen this lunchtime. We started with a bit of confusion, a bit of speculation about what heaven is and how do we get in. And in God's kindness, he tells us, don't worry. You don't have to speculate. I will show you. And so his son, he steps into the world and he gives us a preview. It is a material world, heaven, no doubt. A world with no more illness, no more death, and no more evil. But more importantly, how do you get in? Well, faith, the centurion's faith. His posture, I'm not worthy. The content, Jesus' authority. The outcome, where you get to enter the kingdom. Verse 10 again. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Imagine what was it like for the centurion to hear those words. He came uh, for his servant to be healed, but ultimately he received life in the kingdom of heaven. And because of his faith, 
he was included in Jesus' kingdom. What a joy. What a joy. And so before we head back to the office, it's a chance for us to consider, have you expressed faith like the centurion? Maybe you've been going to church for quite a while. You know stuff about the Bible and you, I guess, would say you have a faith. But you've never located your faith in Jesus, in his authority. And this lunchtime might be a good chance to recalibrate that. Maybe you are a committed follower of Jesus. This is such a great reminder. And that we see ourselves um, that as who we truly are. We are not worthy. And we rejoice at the privilege of being admitted into the kingdom. You weren't excluded because of your ethnicity, your background, and social status. It's all because of Jesus and that the fact that we can trust him. And so he, we are the ones that he says, we are the ones from East and West that Jesus spoke about, and we have joined his kingdom. Lastly, perhaps there might be one or two of you who actually has never actively put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe the centurion today has persuaded you and that the posture is not worthy, that the content of the faith is in Jesus, and you want entry into the kingdom. I'm going to say a few lines to speak to Jesus. And if you like, you can follow me in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I recognize myself in the centurion that I'm not worthy. Yet I trust in your word and your authority for the cleansing of my unworthiness. Please forgive me and accept me into your kingdom. And I ask this in your name. Amen.